The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Workers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, March 18th, 2022. Coming up this hour. President Biden speaks with China's Xi Jinping in an effort to help end the war in Ukraine. Pentagon warns that Russia may threaten to use nuclear weapons if its invasion of Ukraine is stalled. Investors brace for more volatility as the trading week comes to a close. And Moderna requests FDA approval for a fourth COVID shot. Former New York Governor Cuomo says he's open to running for his old job, plus Sarah Palin is appealing her loss in the defamation suit against the New York Times. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stanshower in sports. Islanders stopped the Rangers at the Garden and St. Peter's stunned Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Sirius XM 119, and around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Hey, good Friday morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. And futures are lower this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 23 points. Dow futures down 164. NASDAQ futures down 82. The DAX in Germany is down half percent. Ten-year Treasury up 430 seconds, yield 2.15 percent. And the yield on the two-year, 1.92 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 7 tenths percent, or 72 cents at $103.70 a barrel. The euro, 1.1067 against the dollar. Nathan. All right, Karen, we'll have more on the markets in just a minute. But first, this could be a pivotal day in Russia's war with Ukraine. In just a few hours, President Biden holds his first call in months with one of Vladimir Putin's closest allies, Chinese President Xi Jinping. This comes as Russia's forces appear bogged down outside Ukraine's capital city, Kiev. We get more from Bloomberg's Amy Morris in our 99.1 newsroom in Washington. While the U.K. Ministry of Defense believes Russia's invasion has stalled on all fronts, that has not stopped the intense battles and shelling around schools, hospitals, and residential areas, leading U.S. officials to believe war crimes have been committed. Now, President Biden meets today with China President Xi Jinping. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Biden will issue a warning to Beijing that helping Russia will have consequences. We believe China in particular has a responsibility to use its influence with President Putin and to defend the international rules and principles that it professes to support. Instead, it appears that China is moving in the opposite direction. This as the Pentagon warns Russia may threaten to use nuclear weapons if their invasion of Ukraine is stalled. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, as stiff defense from Ukraine and economic sanctions raise speculation of nuclear threats from Russia, former Secretary of Defense and CIA Director Leon Panetta says diplomatic talks won't be enough to deter Putin. Panetta said the U.S. should continue to arm Ukraine as Putin doubles down. This is a power game. Putin understands power. Uh, He really doesn't understand diplomacy very much. He understands power. And the only way to convince Putin that this is not going anywhere and that he should take some kind of off-ramp is to continue to beat him on the battlefield. 
Former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta made the comments on Bloomberg's balance of power with David Weston. Catch the program weekdays at noon Wall Street time on both Bloomberg Radio and Television. The cost of insuring Russian debt against default has dropped this morning, Karen. Bloomberg News has learned funds earmarked for interest payments on the Russian government's dollar notes were sent to the payment agent. Sources say J.P. Morgan Chase processed the funds and sent the money on to Citigroup. And that is spurring optimism the bonds may still be settled in dollars. Well, Nathan, if the war and a Fed rate hike were not enough for investors to handle, there could be more volatility than usual today. And we get the latest live with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John, good morning. Good morning, Karen. It's the quarterly event known as Triple Witching. Single stock and index level options are set to expire today. At the same time, more near the money options are maturing than at any time since 2019. If that's not enough, there's a rebalancing of benchmark indexes a combination that tends to spark single-day volumes that rank among the highest of the year. Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets, says the wild swings won't end here. I think that volatility is likely to stay elevated for quite some time. We like balanced portfolios between growth and value. We do think that growth stocks are ultimately going to recover, but we think that's going to be because markets are going to continue to price in nervousness and want high-quality exposure. That's Lori Calvacina at RBC. The rebalance in the index alone could lead to $33 billion of stock trades in today's session. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, John, thanks. There's also another day of volatility in nickel trading in London this morning. Let's go live to the city, get the latest with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. Yet another glitchy open for the nickel market today. As the price continues its retreat from an unprecedented short squeeze last week, nickel dropped by the maximum allowed for a third straight day. Nickel tumbling 12% to the new daily limit, a limit which has only just been increased from 8% in the previous session. A frustrating Friday after a frustrating week for the London Metal Exchange. They'll be very pleased that tomorrow is Saturday. Live in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ewan, thank you. Back here in the U.S. in corporate news, General Electric has slashed CEO Larry Culp's pay package by $10 million a year. It's a surprise move in response to last year's rebuke by, rebuke by shareholders. Culp's total target compensation went from about $21 million to $11 million. All right, let's take a look at some stocks moving in early trading this morning, Karen. Shares of FedEx are down about 3.5%. The delivery company posted quarterly profit below analyst estimates. Rising costs related to a U.S. labor shortage and lower than expected expected package volume dragged on gains from pricing increases at FedEx. And shares of GameStop are down nearly 7%. That company reported a surprise loss during the holiday quarter. And we turn to the pandemic now, Nathan. Moderna is asking for U.S. government approval for a fourth COVID shot for adults. And we get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. This would cover significantly more people than Pfizer's earlier request for emergency authorization for a fourth shot for those over 65 years old. Right now, there's a heated debate over how long vaccines protect from infection and whether repeated shots are necessary to prevent severe disease and death. Meantime, Dr. Anthony Fauci Fauci says the U.S. could see COVID-19 cases rise again and vulnerable people would likely need a fourth dose. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Hi, Renita. Thank you. S&P futures right now down 23 points. Dow futures are lower by 167 and Nasdaq futures down 81 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 430 seconds. The yield 2.15 percent. Yield on the two-year note 1.97 percent. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 
It's now 5.07 on Wall Street. We're at 51 degrees in Central Park. Already got a crash northbound Route 1 by Plainfield Avenue in Edison. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr is here with what else is going on in New York and around the world. We made it to Friday, Michael. Yes, we did, Nathan. Thank you very much and good morning. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says that state agencies and public authorities will cease business with companies that have continued to do business with Russia. Hochul previously signed an executive order banning state agencies from doing business with Russian companies. Hochul spoke in Yonkers. We're now going to prohibit any state agencies and authorities from contracting with any entities that are still doing business in Russia. Governor Hochul also said New York will also send 100,000 pounds of medical supplies, including masks and gowns, to Ukraine. Andrew Cuomo says he's open to running for New York governor again and would consider creating his own political party to do so. Cuomo, a Democrat who resigned in August amid a sexual harassment scandal, delivered his second public address in as many weeks, this time to a group of clergy in the Bronx. New details are emerging about the driver of a pickup truck that slammed into a college golf team van in West Texas, killing nine people. According to the NTSB, it was the failure of the left front tire of the pickup. NTSB Vice Chair Bruce Landsberg says, as for the driver of the pickup... A 13-year-old child was behind the wheel of the pickup truck. The NTSB's Bruce Landsberg says the spare tire failed on the pickup at 75 miles an hour. That resulted in the truck veering into the golf team bus. At least five people died and several were injured in a chain reaction crash involving dozens of vehicles on an interstate in southeast Missouri. Police say thick fog led to the crash about 150 miles south of St. Louis. Forecasters say the multi-year mega drought that's drained western U.S. reservoirs and parched croplands across California shows no signs of easing. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says the region faces another spring and summer of dwindling water resources and rising temperatures. Sarah Palin is appealing her loss in the defamation suit she filed against the New York Times. Palin says she was denied a fair trial. The former Alaska governor sued over an opinion piece that linked her to a deadly shooting. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. Coming up to 510 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashow. Good morning, Nathan. They are celebrating in Jersey City. A couple of months ago, St. Peter's record was 3-6. and six. Lost to LIU, lost to Stony Brook, lost to St. John's by 21. And yet the Peacocks able to win their conference journey, gain entry to the NCAA tournament where they pulled off a huge first-round stunner. Beating mighty Kentucky 85-79 in overtime, only the 10th time ever. A 15 seed has beaten a 2. Daryl Banks scored 27 points. It was an amazing feeling. You know, uh, playing basketball, you grow up watching college basketball, and college basketball in the March Madness tournament. So just letting that sink in, knowing that the game is over and we got it, it just felt really good. It was the biggest upset of the day, not the only one. 12th seeded New Mexico State knocked off UConn and Richmond upset Iowa. Since seeding began in 1979, Richmond 
has won nine times as a 12th seed or lower. No other school has done it more than four times. At the Garden, Islanders got a Kyle Palmieri goal with less than three minutes to play and beat the Rangers 2-1. to one. The Ranger goal, the 40th of the year for Chris Kreider. 21 of those have been on the power play. Knicks and Nets both have home games tonight. Yankees play the Pirates in Bradenton. Their Grapefruit League opener, the Giants, have released veteran safety Logan Ryan. Big NFL trade went down last night. Green Bay sent star wide receiver Devontae Adams to Las Vegas for first and second round draft picks. And Adams has already agreed to a new five-year contract with the Raiders. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield has requested a trade, upset that Cleveland showed interest in acquiring Deshaun Watson. Watson is expected to be dealt by Houston, but to either Atlanta or New Orleans. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan. All right, John, thanks. S&P futures now down 25 points. Dow futures down 178. NASDAQ futures down 87 points. Ten-year Treasury up 4.30 seconds. The yield, 2.15%. President Biden set to call China's Xi Jinping on the war in Ukraine. We'll preview it next with Bloomberg's Enda Curran in Hong Kong. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Clouds and patchy fog give way to sunshine today. High near 70 degrees. Periods of rain tomorrow, low 60s. Upper 50s, partly sunny by Sunday. Right now, 51 and partly cloudy in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Futures are lower this morning. S&P futures down 28 points. Dow futures down 192. NASDAQ futures down 98. The 10-year Treasury up 430 seconds. Yield 2.15%. Yield on the two-year 1.91%. NYMEX crude oils up 7 tenths percent or 70 cents at $103.63 a barrel. And Bitcoin this morning is at $40,570, down 4 tenths percent. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. World leaders called for an investigation of Russia's repeat attacks on civilian targets in Ukraine. Meanwhile, rescue workers search for survivors in the ruins of a theater that was serving as a shelter in Mariupol. Top seeds Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas have advanced to the second round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament on a day. A number two seed was dispatched. 15th-seeded St. Peter's Peacocks in living color beat Kentucky 85-79 in overtime. In the NHL, the Islanders beat the Rangers 2-1. The Capitals won. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, David. All right, Michael. Thank you. We're coming up to 519 on Wall Street live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak as we continue our global team coverage of the War in Ukraine. We're joined this morning from Hong Kong by uh, Bloomberg Chief Asia Economics Correspondent Enda Curran. And from Brussels, Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo is with us as well. And what could be a pivotal day in the war in Ukraine is we're awaiting a call, uh, the first call in months between President Joe Biden of the United States and Chinese President Xi Jinping as part of the U.S. president's overall effort to try to put global pressure on Russia uh, to try to stop Ukraine. So, Enda, I'll start with you. Uh, from the perspective of China, obviously we know what the president is looking to achieve uh, when it comes to this call today with uh, President Xi. What is China hoping to get out of it? But China so far hasn't 
condemns the invasion of Ukraine. Neither has it even described it as an invasion. It has kind of tr- uh, tried to thread the middle ground. On the one hand, it has spoken about the need to respect sovereignty and independence, and it has called for a peaceful ending to the conflict. On the other hand, though, it has also backed up some of Russia's allegations against the West and the US and the like. And I think what most people <clears throat> will be hoping for out of this call tonight is at least some clarity in terms of where China will be going next in in this conflict. I mean, are they going to go full bore and support Russia, in, in which case, of course, that risks sanctions on China's own economy, or will they come out and start explicitly calling for peace and explicitly calling for a way out of this conflict? We had a six-hour uh, meeting between officials in Rome earlier this week that were described as constructive. This is the first call between Biden and Xi since last November. So I think there is a lot, you know, expectations might be low, but there's still a lot riding on in terms of what signals will come out of it for China's next steps. Uh, Maria, today in Brussels, I'll turn to you because I know you've been in very close contact with uh, Ukrainian diplomats. Uh, what's the European perspective on this call this morning? Uh, look, I think, of course, they, they keep a very close eye because uh, China, of course, is a huge geopolitical uh, agent. And, of course, it could really help Russia if uh, they do deliver these weapons that they, it was reported Russia had asked uh, for. But I think for the European Union is very important, almost as, as important as it is for the United States, to get a clear sense in terms of what does Russia want out of this, uh, excuse me, China want out of this conflict and what role are they going to play uh, going forward. For the Europeans, they also believe that frankly the Chinese do not have an interest in getting involved in here because of course there would be repercussions the European Union has a trade deal with China which is waiting for approval many would tell you by the way China no China or conflict in Ukraine this trade deal between China and the EU is dead because this relationship is getting very frosty uh, from the two sides but you know they really have an interest in finding out what is it that China wants to war plan around uh, Ukraine the other thing of course that I would note um, you mentioned uh, the conversation that I had with a deputy to the Ukrainian President Zelensky earlier today, and he told me just minutes ago I hope that China is smart enough to know that they'll get nothing out of stepping in in Ukraine. China is a wise country, and they won't want to get involved. So that is also the language coming out from the Ukrainian side. And I'll turn it back to you. Obviously, uh, there's a very close relationship between China and Russia. We have this uh, Defense Department assessment that if Russia continues to get bogged down in Ukraine, that uh, Russia could threaten to use nuclear weapons. What kind of leverage does China have to try to avoid that kind of strong rhetoric, that sort of threat from Russia? Well, both sides have been growing their economic linkages in recent years. On the one hand, Russia selling China energy and wheat. On the other hand, of course, China selling Russia lots of merchandise goods. Uh, recently, just before the Olympic Games at the start of February, they kind of um, brought a, a peak to their relations when they put out a communique saying there's no limit to friendship between both sides. All of that being said, though, this is where it gets complicated for China because it will not want to get caught up in the Western sanctions, number one, for its banks or its companies. Uh, number two, it likes to be seen as playing a global, a good global citizen on the world stage, regardless of one's views of its internal politics. Uh, and, of course, number three, China itself is pushing for a year of stability because it has a very important political conference at the end of the year when President Xi Jinping is expected to get another term. So 
the, the weight of all of this is, is expected to lean towards China making an intervention, using its influence, like you ask, its economic and its, its um, alliance influence with Russia to try and bring this to an end somehow. But a big question is, how will it use that leverage? What kind of solution will it push, to, push Russia towards? Or indeed, does it not use that path and does it double down on its harsh rhetoric against the broad US-West alliance and continue to support Russia? Remember, one variable to consider in this is that if China comes out of this conflict having been seen to back the wrong horse, that, of course, would be judgment on the President Xi Jinping and the government for having gone too far in building its alliance with Russia in the first place and ultimately having to swing around to the western side of this. So there is a lot at stake for China, and navigating their path out of this will not be simple. And I think that's why a lot of people are waiting now for clarity from this uh, readout from the call tonight to see whether or not China is starting to move its position. To the point of whether China is backing the wrong horse here, Maria Tadeo, uh, what is the Ukrainian relationship with China like? I know Ukraine has been in recent decades moving toward a more close relationship with the West. But in terms of the Chinese relationship, what is it like between China and Ukraine? Well, you know, if you ask me that question, what's the relationship between Ukraine and China, my answer to you is we actually don't know because the reality is for Ukraine, this is not a top priority. It's not a relationship that they actively search because over the past uh, essentially four or three years, their efforts have purely and, and mostly concentrated on the European Union and the United States. They've been trying to build good relations with the EU in recent years, and I think this is a critical test now of that. Bloomberg's Enda Curran with us this morning from Hong Kong. Thanks as well to Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo in Brussels. Our global team coverage on day 23 of the war in Ukraine. Karen. All right, Nathan, thank you. And it's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow along with Nathan Hager. And we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Russia's invasion continues as missiles struck western Ukraine in regions close to the border of Poland. According to new Pentagon intelligence, Russian President Vladimir Putin may soon levy nuclear threats against the West in an attempt to project strength. Well, back in Washington, Karen, President Biden and is scheduled to speak with China's President Xi Jinping about the war. We get the latest from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. The White House is saying it gives President Biden a chance to really assess where President Xi stands and to step up pressure for him to cooperate. Spokeswoman Jen Psaki saying it will give Xi a chance to denounce the Russian invasion. This flies in the face, of course, of everything China stands for, including uh, the basic principles of the U.N. Charter, including the basic principles of respect for sovereignty of nations. And sources to Bloomberg say the White House is concerned that China's muted response may be a sign that it may be moving closer to supporting Moscow. It says this meeting will tell that story. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Ed, thank you. On Capitol Hill yesterday, the House voted to end regular trade relations with Russia. Well, on Wall Street, Nathan, financial markets expect more fireworks today. And Bloomberg's John Tucker joins us live to explain. John. Darren, $3.5 trillion of single stock and index level options are set to expire today. And at the same time, more near-the-money options are maturing than at any time since 2019. Triple Witching Friday. This coincides with a rebalancing of benchmark indexes. It's a combination that tends to spark single-day volumes that rank among the highest of the year. Now watch today if investors rebuild their holdings of protective puts or chase the market rebound with call contracts 
All adds up to a volatile day ahead. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, John, thanks. Checking that market volatility right now. U.S. futures are falling. Oil has surpassed $100 a barrel again. West Texas Intermediate crude right now trading at $103.72. Well, turning to the pandemic, Nathan, Moderna is asking for U.S. government approval for a fourth COVID shot for adults. And we get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. Moderna's request would cover significantly more people than Pfizer's earlier request for emergency authorization for a fourth shot, which was for those over 65 years old. Right now, there's a heated debate over how long vaccines protect from infection and whether repeated shots are necessary to prevent severe disease and death. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. And futures are lower this morning. S&P futures are down 22 points. Dow futures down 152. And NASDAQ futures down 78. And straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. 533 on Wall Street. Let's bring in Michael Barr for a look at what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. New York Governor Kathy Hochul says that state agencies and public authorities will cease business with companies that have continued to do business in Russia. The Democratic governor previously signed an executive order banning state agencies from doing business with Russian companies. So this is not just directly with Russian companies. It is with companies, American companies, that are continuing to do business in Russia in light of what's happening. So that is the message that we're delivering to our state agencies. Governor Hochul, speaking in Yonkers, also says New York will send 100,000 pounds of medical supplies, including masks and gowns, to Ukraine. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is dangling the possibility he may run for his former job just six months after he resigned amid sexual harassment allegations. Cuomo gave a campaign-style speech to a friendly audience of about 100 people in the Bronx. Asked afterwards if he would run for office, Cuomo told reporters... He is open to all options. Former Alaska Governor Sayla Palin is appealing her loss in the defamation suit she filed against the New York Times. She sued the Times and former opinion page editor James Bennett in 2017 over a piece mistakenly linking her to a deadly shooting. Palin claimed the errors were driven by bias against her. Investigators are learning more about Tuesday night's deadly collision of a pickup truck and a van carrying New Mexico college students and a golf coach. The NTSB says the driver of the pickup truck was only 13 years old, too young to drive. NTSB Vice Chair Bruce Landsberg. The left front tire, which was a spare tire, had failed, which resulted in the vehicle pulling hard to the left and crossing into the uh, opposing lane. The pickup went head-on into the van carrying the golf team, killing seven inside. Both people in the pickup were also killed. A pileup on a Missouri interstate left at least five people dead. The fog-shrouded 13-mile stretch was closed for hours. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Michael, thank you. 535 on Wall Street. John Stanshire has a Bloomberg Sports Update. Thanks, David. It was truly a David versus Goliath-type upset. And in Indiana, that's where the movie Hoosiers took place. You had Kentucky State School, 32,000 students, winners of eight NCAA tournaments. And you had St. Peter's tiny Jesuit school from Jersey City. Had never won an NCAA game before, and yet the Peacocks 
right there with the Wildcats all night, and they won it in overtime, 85-79. Coach of the Peacocks, Shaheen Holloway. At the end of the day, you know, every team that made it to the NCAA tournament deserved to be here. Every team that made it to the NCAA tournament think that they could advance. You know, it's, like, you just have to be good on this night. It's not about your record. It's not about what school you at. It's who's ever good on that night. And tonight, you know, it was our night. Tenth time ever. A 15 seed knocked off a two. It was one of three overtime games last night. Murray State got by San Francisco. Creighton trailed for about 40 minutes but rallied past San Diego State. Twelfth seeded New Mexico State upset UConn. Teddy Allen, 37 points for the Aggies. Twelfth seeded Richmond upset Iowa. Even Gonzaga, the tourney's top overall seed, had a struggle. Led Georgia State by only four with ten minutes left. And then Gonzaga went on a 24-1 to run. Sixteen more games today and tonight. Last game of the first round, Seton Hall against TCU in San Diego. Islanders topped the Rangers 2-1 at the Garden on a late Kyle Palmieri goal. Chris Kreider scored the Ranger goal, his 40th. Only one NHL player has more. Aaron Rodgers decided to keep playing in Green Bay, but he won't have his best weapon to throw to. The Packers traded star wideout Devontae Adams to Las Vegas for first and second round draft picks. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thanks, John. 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Scott Carr. The New York City apartment rental market has remained durable, at least according to Compass real estate broker Isaac Rosenberg. He tells New York Business Journal, Compass is seeing dramatically increased market activity for the first time since 2019. In his opinion, if you haven't found a tenant for your rental property by 15 days in, you're doing something wrong. With gas prices at or near record highs, New Jersey Congressman Frank Pallone Jr. is pressing oil company execs to explain why fuel costs so much. NJ.com reports the power Democratic chair of the House Energy Committee is asking executives with BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and other suppliers to come to Capitol Hill to answer questions. For the third year in a row, lawmakers in Connecticut are considering a ban on flavored vaping products, still being one of only a few states in the region that have not limited their sale. Hartford Biz Journal reports a proposal this year would only target flavored vaping products. That's the Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Scott Carr. Thank you, Scott. 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air for from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Potus, and on 1010 Wins in New York, we're talking about Amazon facing a court petition to rehire a Staten Island warehouse worker behind organizing efforts. I'm Courtney Tenahoe on WHAS in Louisville. FedEx posted a profit that missed estimates on rising costs. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm reporting that United Airlines says passenger volume for spring break is near pre-pandemic levels. I'm Caroline Hepke on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on nickel on the London Metal Exchange, dropping by the maximum allowed for a third day in a row, though there's been very little trading. I'm Scott Carr on WDCH in Washington, reporting on solar power's continued ramp up in the region. Those are some of the stories. Our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. In a surprise move this week, the U.S. Senate passed a bill to make daylight saving time 
permanent. In one sense, reform is welcome. Changing clocks twice a year, a policy adopted during World War I to conserve energy, disrupts people's sleep and health. But why stick with daylight saving time? Standard time is better aligned with human circadian rhythms. Perhaps lawmakers don't remember how unhappy Americans were the last time Congress imposed year-round daylight saving time in the 1970s. Although the change was popular at first, late sunrises in the dead of winter soon weighed on people's minds. Support for the initiative plummeted, and Congress quickly reversed course. Nearly 50 years later, the fate of daylight saving time once again rests with House lawmakers. They should be wary of repeating a failed experiment. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board for more Bloomberg Opinion. Please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN go on the Bloomberg terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. You can hear Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time, standard or daylight. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN go. Futures moving lower on this triple witching day. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, clouds, patchy fog give way to sunshine and a high near 70 today. Rain tomorrow, low 60s. We'll be back in the sunshine, but upper 50s for Sunday highs. Right now, clouds and 51 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update brought to you by SEI. Crises bring out the best in people. Character, community, partnership, together as one. SEI. Go to SEIC.com slash IMS. U.S. stock index futures lower this morning along with European shares as traders weigh mixed signals from the peace talks between Russia and Ukraine and brace for volatility from expiring options. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 27 points, Dow futures down 178, and Nasdaq futures down 90. The DAX in Germany is down 8 tenths of a percent, CAC in Paris down 7 tenths percent, and the FTSE 100 is down 2 tenths of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan gained about seven-tenths of a percent, and the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down four-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds, yield 2.14 percent. Yield on the two-year, 1.91 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up one percent, or a dollar two at $104 a barrel. COMEX gold is down about six-tenths of a percent, down $10.70 at $19.37.50 an ounce. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Russian forces are pressing their assault on Ukrainian cities, striking on the outskirts of the capital, Kiev, and the western city of Lviv. Rescue workers are still searching for survivors the ruins of a theater that was serving as a shelter in the besieged southern city of Mariupol. President Joe Biden will talk on the phone with Chinese President Xi Jinping Biden hopes Beijing will ratchet up pressure on Moscow to end its war in Ukraine. In the NCAA men's basketball tournament, St. Peter's is proud as a peacock. 
The Jersey City team ranked 15th, beat number two seed Kentucky 85-79 in overtime. Top seeds Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas advanced to the second round. In the NHL, the Islanders beat the Rangers 2-1. The Capitals won. Global news, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. It is 549 on Wall Street Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And we're joined now by Patrick Palfrey, co-head of quantitative research, senior equity strategist at Credit Suisse on another morning where futures are falling Bonds and oil are rising. Kind of feels like how it's felt since the start of the war, Patrick. Is this a headline-driven market from here on out? Well, certainly it shows that the volatility that we're uh, experiencing uh, day-to-day is, is remains quite elevated. And even intraday, we're seeing very big moves. I think it comes down to what you mentioned earlier, that, that the headlines are really driving the market. We, we have two competing dynamics. We have what's going on with Fed policy, and we have what's going on with the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, sometimes they're at odds in the sense that we have policy shifting potentially more favorably for markets. And then at other times, uh, the expected response from the Fed is, is potentially more hawkish, and it, it causes more, more problems, and, and equity see a little bit more volatility. So there's two competing odds, and they're playing out very violently right now within the markets. Well, let's take a look at one of those factors, Fed policy. How much more pricing in do you think uh, this market needs to do when it comes to this tightening cycle? Well, right now, the market shouldn't be surprised by the pace of inflation. And when you look at, for example, the 2.10 spread, uh, the difference between the two-year and the 10-year, you see something that's 25 basis points, and it's been flattening in response to the expectation that the Fed's going to hike. Um, so there's no surprise that this is happening. I think what was interesting uh, from the Fed meeting on Wednesday uh, was the fact that Powell came out and dr- dramatically increased his end-of-year inflation target. And it shows that uh, this is going to be stickier than I think they had expected, and I think there's going to be some persistence, but the Fed is going to take this seriously. So the market is making the appropriate adjustments. We have priced in a lot of that, um, but but on the margin, there's still fine-tuning going on because when you have inflation running at elevated levels, it leaves volatility higher. Do you think the Fed's going to hike at every meeting? In, in order to hit the goal of which they're looking to, it, it, it seems like that's going to be the case. I think the question is how many hikes can they get in in 2023 as well? And ultimately, it appears that they're looking to do seven potentially this year and then four potentially next year. Uh, it's, it's a dramatic move, uh, particularly where you look at uh, perhaps, you know, this time a year ago for sure. But even uh, last summer, we, we weren't expecting anywhere near this level of, of Fed move. So it's been a dramatic shift in a short period of time, and it's been a lot for the market to, to digest. But it shouldn't be problematic for equities. Well, could it be problematic for the growth picture? I mean, if we uh, start to see the economy slow down or, uh, you know, some are talking about recession as well, what could that mean for stocks? I mean, let, let's be clear. The the economy on a real basis is slowing. It's it's a function of coming out of a bounce that's um, off the bottom of an economic cycle. I think what's important is to remember that nominal GDP is actually continuing to increase, and that's important because companies live in a nominal world. They receive price uh, and units when they calculate their sales. So. 
Uh, many companies actually benefit from this inflationary environment, and they're not going to see the impact. I think what's interesting this time around, and it makes the analogy to the 70s and 80s more difficult, is we have high inflation, yes, but interest rates remain very low. So you're getting the benefit to corporate profits without necessarily the offsetting impact of PEs. And that's why we think equities can continue to do quite well in this environment, despite the fact that these dynamics feel very uncomfortable to investors. Not a minute left here. I think it's safe to say that at the start of the year, before this uh, hiking cycle began, your shop's been one of the most bullish on Wall Street. Do you see that uh, optimism continuing? Where do you see the market ending up by the end of this year? Uh, we, we still do see um, a tremendous amount of optimism on the horizon. Uh, and, and it really comes from the fact that, yes, there's, there's a lot of dynamics investors point to, but I think they're really selectively cherry-picking the data. Uh, we are still going to see GDP grow materially above the pace that it's grown for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, so, yes, things are softening. Uh, but once again, that's just a reflection of where we are coming out of the bounce. Backdrop remains incredibly robust and intact. ISM PMIs remain very strong. Um, unemployment demand for labor is indicating there is tremendous amount of robustness within the labor market. All these point to positive pictures. Yes, there are certainly uh, cracks and, and issues, but, but on a balanced note, the, the optimism should be there. Great to have you on with us this morning, Patrick. Thank you. Patrick Palfrey is co-head of Quant Research and Senior Equity Strategist at Credit Suisse. Karen. Nathan, it is 5.54 on Wall Street. It's time now for the Bloomberg Law Report, brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Now, here's a legal story we're watching this morning. Mark Zuckerberg will not have to testify in the District of Columbia's suit against Facebook over its handling of user data after a ruling by the judge overseeing the case. In fact, Judge Maurice Ross says the attempt by the D.C. Attorney General to add Zuckerberg to the suit and depose him smacked of bad faith, and he found it, frankly, annoying, quote. For more, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson. The D.C. Attorney General wanted to add Zuckerberg to the lawsuit and depose Zuckerberg because he said that allowing third-party apps like Cambridge Analytica to access user data was Zuckerberg's brainchild. What did the judge decide? Well, he wasn't going to have it. (laughs) He shot down the Attorney General's proposal pretty harshly, I would say. The judge denied the Attorney General's motion to add Zuckerberg as a defendant and granted Facebook's motion for a protective order to block the attorney general from trying to depose Zuckerberg. So the judge said, look, this is a consumer protection lawsuit. This is about financial damages, basically, for consumers. The judge said, based on what he had heard, the attorney general already had plenty of information to go ahead with his case and bring the current claims that he had to trial. He was pretty critical. At some point, I would say he was shouting at the district really? lawyers saying that they basically were trying to turn this case into a case about Mark Zuckerberg instead of a case about Facebook and uh, was really critical of their attempt to, to add him, saying that they did not need to depose Mark Zuckerberg in order to potentially get damages from this data breach for the district consumers. So at one point, the judge did say, look, if you find that Mark Zuckerberg did something wrong with the evidence you have, file a criminal complaint against him. He was being a little flippant, but the point he was making is if Mark Zuckerberg did something wrong, maybe that's a different case. 
but for the purposes of this lawsuit, he wanted to narrow it in. He wanted to speed it up. Said the case had been going on too long. Whether or not Mark Zuckerberg personally said do this or don't do this, I think the judge is saying it's irrelevant to the claims in the complaint. And we can't leave out that the judge quoted from the movie Jerry Maguire in his opinion. <laughs> like I said, he had said that for the purposes of a consumer protection complaint, it's about getting money back for consumers at the end of the day, not proving, you know, some sweeping wrongdoing by Mark Zuckerberg. So he's saying if this is about money damages, which consumer protection is, he said, you know, it's like Jerry Maguire is, is like Cuba Gooding Jr. Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> so he did mention that he likes to uh, reference pop culture at his hearings on occasion. And that's Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com. Futures are lower this morning. S&P futures down about 24 points. Dow futures down 161, and NASDAQ futures down 75. Still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.